Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Dr. Susan Shumsky. She's a doctor of divinity and the best-selling author of 13 books. Dr. Susan has been a pioneer in the consciousness field for nearly 50 years. She has studied with enlightened masters, and for 22 years, including seven years on his personal staff, her mentor was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, guru of the Beatles and Deepak Chopra. It may be hard to believe that two-way communication with spirit is feasible, but Dr. Susan has taught thousands her technology for contacting the Divine Presence and receiving guidance. The principles are explained in her latest book, Awaken Your Divine Intuition, that we are going to discuss today. Welcome, Susan. Susan, you're... I am so happy to be here with you today, Miriam. <laughs> you're here with us. Thank you. Well, I'm de- delighted to have you because this is such, in my view, such a central part of the conscious awakening. It's expanding your abilities to be able to tap into the source of divine inspiration. So I was really thrilled when I got your book for review. Tell me... Um, you've had certainly an intensely spiritual life. What drew you onto that path in the first place? Well, I, I was a hippie. It was the 60s. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And probably uh, your listeners don't realize this, that those of us who were flower children, we were very interested in experiencing higher states of consciousness. We were exploring higher awareness uh, We wanted to experience directly what it talks about in the ancient scriptures of the East. So I was reading books like the Buddhist scriptures, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I was reading Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. I was reading various books by Alan Watts, including The Way of Zen. And in Alan Watts' books, he said that you have to find a meditation guide Well, in 1966 in Berkeley, California, you didn't exactly go to the Yellow Pages and find anything remotely similar to meditation guide or any yoga or anything. So I asked a roommate, I said, well, how do I find this meditation guide? And he said, well, have you ever tried to meditate on your own? And so I said, well, I guess I'll give it a shot. So I lay down on my bed. I didn't even know that you're supposed to sit up when you meditate. That's how clueless I was. I lay down on my bed, and I sort of prayed for or asked for a meditation. Immediately, I was propelled into an ecstatic state. I felt a cord, a rush of energy that was rushing from the tips of my toes all the way to the top of my head. I felt like I was plugged into to electric socket, but in the most ecstatic way. And I figured, well, I guess this is meditation. Little did I know that I had not only just had my first meditation experience, but my kundalini awakening all at the same time. So that was what introduced me to meditation. And it was not too long after that that a friend took me to the Transcendental Meditation Center. And as soon as I saw the picture of the guru on the wall, I immediately knew that I wanted to study with him and I wanted to practice this form of meditation. So I did. And then not long after that, I was in India on the banks of the Ganges River, studying with him. Oh, Susan, you're 
audio has just cut out. Susan? I'm here. <laughs> okay. Uh, I finished my question. My, yeah, finished. Uh, you finished your answer. Okay. Well, what did you find in TM that kept you there for 22 years? Well, I was having amazing spiritual experiences, exactly what I had sought, which was this experience of transcendental consciousness where I was in a state of perfect peace and relaxation and expansion and unbounded awareness. And it was the answer to everything that I had been looking for, uh, that experience of higher consciousness. So that's what kept me there, was the direct experiences that I was having in meditation. What was it like to work directly with uh, Maharishi? Well, that was a very interesting experience to be with him, because when I was sitting, when I was in his presence, I felt these amazing waves of grace and bliss and blessedness, and it was a very profound feeling of love, feeling loved, feeling like I was in an altered state of consciousness, a higher consciousness, and deeply moved, deeply loved. It was very, very powerful to be in the presence of somebody of that elevated consciousness. So that was pretty amazing. And uh, so I stayed there for quite a long time. And what were you seeking when you decided to leave? Well, actually... uh, after I'd been there for quite a long time, I was on his personal staff for seven years. And after those seven years, he said that I was becoming too dependent on him and that I was going to have to go. <laughs> That's the reason I left. It's because he told me I had to go. So it was for your own good, presumably. It was for my own good that he sent me away, yes. <laughs> what did you do afterwards? Well, I floundered around a bit thinking, oh my gosh, you know, how am I going to survive? in this world out here where I'm no longer in the cocoon. And eventually I started a jewelry design business because I'm an artist. So I did that for actually for 20 years. I was doing jewelry designing in New York. I designed diamond jewelry and other precious stone jewelry. And I was very successful at that. It turned out really well. And uh, yeah, that's what I did after that. And what took you back into spirituality? I continued to stay in the organization. I was was in the... Pardon me? Uh, I'm sorry. No, you said uh, that you stayed in the organization. You were about to answer the question that I was trying to ask you. Yes, I continued to stay in the Transcendental Meditation Organization. I lived in their various ashrams. I continued to live in their various ashrams for 22 years. But what brought me away from being on his personal staff was he just said I was too dependent on him and I had to leave. I see. So uh, what inspired you to look beyond TM? You talk a lot in your book about um, the difference between transcendence and mystical union. Let's, Let's explore that. Right. So the thing was that I really thought that I knew everything there was to know about meditation and experiencing higher consciousness. And I really thought I knew everything. I was extremely arrogant. 
And as were many other people, by the way, who were involved with transcendental meditation, I wasn't the only one who was very arrogant and thought I knew everything there was to know. And there was a guy who was staying in an apartment next to mine when I was living in Fairfield, Iowa, and he kept bugging me. He said that he had something that I needed to learn. There was something he wanted to teach me, another different type of meditation. And I just kind of flicked him away with a flip of my wrist. You know, I was not really interested in talking to this guy because I didn't think he could teach me anything. And then all of a sudden I found myself in a kind of a tricky situation where I was going to have to appear before the board. Uh, The board was part of the Transcendental Meditation Organization, which is a very strict organization, by the way. And I was really scared that I would have to go before this board. And I don't know what possessed me, but I called this guy who who had been bugging me. And I said, you know, I have to do this. And he said, well, get out a piece of paper and a pen, and I'm going to dictate an affirmation to you. I wasn't even sure what an affirmation was, but I wrote it down. And he said I needed to repeat that for 15 minutes before I went into this meeting. Well, I was so frightened about the meeting that I that I actually continued to say this affirmation for 30 minutes before going into the meeting. By the end of the time of saying this affirmation over and over for 30 minutes, I was feeling so incredibly empowered and so amazingly centered and feeling so uh, confident that I just walked right into the meeting with, you know, great self-authority and great self-empowerment. And it ended up that the guys who were, who I was appearing before, they ended up apologizing to me for any inconvenience they may have caused me and sent me on my way. Well, I was so <laughs> impressed with what had happened from using this affirmation that I told the guy I would learn from him. So he taught me this amazing other kind of meditation whereby I could listen to the still small voice within where I could receive divine guidance and inspiration and healing from within myself and communicate with divine beings of light, with the ascended masters and with the deities and the God of my understanding. And it was really incredibly powerful, this amazing technique. And I was so enthusiastic about it that I started inviting his teachers to come and teach. The, the guy who taught me, I invited his teachers to come and teach. And I started a little meditation group with this particular form of meditation. And I started teaching it myself. And, and then I wrote a book about it. So that book is called Divine Revelation. And the method that I call it divine revelation is the method that I call it. And it is really about listening to that inner voice. It's about receiving divine guidance. It's also about how you can tell the difference between the true voice of spirit and other voices in your mind. How you can test whether the message you're getting is the real thing. So, you know, it's a very powerful technique. It's a very step-by-step, almost scientific kind of approach because... It's all about using the tools and the techniques and specific prayers and affirmations that really help you to stay clear and to be able to receive the guidance really clearly and to know that it's real. Because people, you know, they wonder, well, this is, is this my ego speaking? Who's talking to me? Is it really my true higher self giving me this message or is it some other voice talking to me? Indeed. Well, we're going to explore that uh, more deeply, but right now we have to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Susan Shumsky about her book, Awaken Your Divine Intuition. 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Susan, this might be a good time to tell people what your websites are. Yes, my website is drsusan.org. That's drsusan.org. On that website, you can read the first chapter of all of my books. You can listen to radio interviews, read articles, listen to free teleseminars. Uh, There's a lot of information on that website. Also, I have another website called divinetravels.com. That's D-I-V-I-N-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-S.com. That's plural on the travels, divinetravels.com. On that website, you can find out about the sacred tours, the tours of sacred destinations, retreats, seminars, conferences, cruise ship seminars that I do. And it's a really good idea to subscribe there because there's usually not more than one or two things that are being advertised at any one time. But then if you subscribe, you'll be notified about things that are going on in the future. So I recommend that you subscribe there. That's divinetravels.com. Very good. So just before the break, we were talking about uh, actually tapping in directly to hear the voice of the divine. Now, you have a lot of really useful tables in your book. And one of the tables that caught my eye was the difference between a personal and an impersonal God. Mm-hmm. Explain that to our listeners, please. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of an esoteric concept, but there, because of the fact that I studied in the ashram, I learned all about the difference between the personal God and the impersonal God, and I know that, that sounds a little schizophrenic or weird or something, but the reality is there are two aspects of the divine. There is the absolute, infinite, nameless, formless aspect of the divine, which is unmanifest. It is imperishable, eternal, unbounded, unlimited, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, omnipotent. And it has really no, even though I've mentioned these qualities, it is actually qualityless because it's transcendental. It's beyond this physical realm altogether. And it's neither male nor female. It, you know, it's not in duality. It's, un, it's non-dual. It is oneness and wholeness. So there's that aspect of the divine, but then there's also the personal aspect of the divine. And that, you know, is what a lot of people think of when they think of God or goddess. They're thinking of a a specific being that has a name such as God or that is, or has a name such as Krishna or Buddha or, uh, or Hashem or any of the various names of God from different religious traditions. So the personal aspect or aspects of God are different than the impersonal in that in the personal God, you're able to communicate with and hold a conversation with that divine Mm -hmm. being. And I would also include, for example, ascended masters, angels and archangels in that category of divine beings. So if you want to communicate with or have a conversation with a divine being, that would be in the category of a personal aspect of the divine. Does that make sense? So it's the difference between the sort of source of all creation mm-hmm. versus the aspects of creation that are kind of stepped down, like stepped down transformers that you can actually communicate with. 
Correct. Okay. That's a very good way to describe it. Yes. So where does our higher self Mm -hmm. uh, float around in that mix? Right. Well, our higher self, strangely enough, has both an impersonal aspect and a personal aspect to it. Because our higher self is that divine presence in both the impersonal and the personal form. So when they, in the ancient scriptures of India, for example, when it says, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, I am that, I am all that is, you know, mm-hmm. thou art that, all this is that, that alone is. These maha, what they call mahavakyas are great statements of truth, is that really our, our I am self is that impersonal divine being, but also our higher self is, contains all of the personal aspects of the divine presence as well. Mm-hmm. So how do you know that you are actually in contact with a divine voice? Well, that's really, really, very, very important. And I go into that in great detail in the book, Awaken Your Divine Intuition, because I have an entire 10 test system for being able to distinguish and discern. And the reason why this is so important is because there's four places that you might be, could be possibly getting your message from. There's the spiritual world, the mental world, the astral world, or the environmental world. The spiritual world would be the place where you're in touch with divine beings, such as angels, archangels, deities, ascended masters. All of these divine beings dwell in the, in the spiritual plane. But then there's three other planes of existence that people might tap into when they're meditating or going into inner realms. One is the mental world. The mental world would be your own subconscious mind, which would be your own habits, beliefs, conditioning, ideas, concepts, constructs, things that you've been brainwashed to believe and so on. And unfortunately, many of the so-called channel books, unfortunately, they're, they're coming from the mental world. They're not coming from the spiritual world. Another realm you might tap into would be what I call the astral plane. On the astral plane, there are discarnate entities, there are earthbound spirits, there are spirits that got stuck or stranded in the in that plane of existence rather than going into the divine light after death, that they didn't go into the light, they, they get kind of like lost in this astral world. And of course, these are not the kind of beings that you really want to communicate with. Some of them are faker spirits who are pretending to be something that they're not. Some of them are uh, just lost and confused and don't know what they're doing. So that would be a place you do not want to get messages from. Another plane of existence would be what I call the environmental world, which is you're tapping into the beliefs, thoughts, habits, and conditions of the of humanity, of the collective consciousness, let's say. So tapping into that also is erroneous. It's really not going to get you uh, truth, uh, messages of truth. It will not give well, you... it won't get you... System. It won't get you personal messages, but certainly being able to tap into that plane uh, kind of plugs you into humanity. That must have a certain value in and of itself. Well, most of the, what I'm talking about is this, the astral cloud that covers the entire earth, which is 
thoughts, habits, and beliefs of the collective consciousness mm -hmm. of humanity, most of which is negative beliefs, habits, and conditions, such as some examples might be women are not as valuable as men. Um, mm -hmm. If you're spiritual, you can't be prosperous. Uh, you have to sacrifice and be poor in order to have a spiritual life. I mean, these kinds of beliefs and habits are not really useful, and they don't really serve our highest purpose. Right. Uh, certainly in this political season, we are aware of many of these kind of thought forms that are hanging out there, and, and really mm -hmm. a lot of people are sort of affected, if not infected, by them. <laughs> It's good. I like your expression you just said. That was good. So um, I, I, I loved your, your uh, urging the reader to practice safe spirituality. Mm -hmm. And you have developed these kind of tests and ways to ask questions and to test them to make sure that the information you're getting is of the highest quality. Right. So let's, um, let's, we only have a few minutes before our next break, but um, let's start talking about that. How, how do we approach um, this safe spirituality? Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, there's a 10-test system. It would take me three hours to teach the 10-test system. And the important thing is that you use all 10 tests, not just one test, not two tests, but all 10 tests. And so when you're using all the tests, then you're assured that what you're getting is something of highest wisdom from the spiritual world and not one of these other realms that you're tapping into because, you know, you're wondering who or what is giving me this message. Is it God? Is it an astral entity? Is it my ego? Is it my own beliefs that are hidden from even my own view, my own habits and beliefs that are not true? Is it someone who's influencing me from my environment? Is it peer pressure? You know, is it the beliefs that I learned as a child? So who or what? Who is giving me this message? That's why it's so important for us to learn about discernment to be able to tell the difference. So there are certain criteria that I use, including uh, knowing who you're talking to. That means getting like a, it's almost like getting an identity badge or a you find out who or what is, it's like if somebody comes and knocks on your door, what are you going to say? You're going to say, oh, who's there? So first thing you have to find out is what is its name? And then you ask it for like, almost like asking it for a, a um, for its business card in a way or an identity badge. And that's what I, I call it a signal. Signal is a sign that tells you that you're in contact with that particular being. And I could explain to you a little bit more about the signals. Um, don't have time probably before the break, but uh, I could talk about the signals and how we get signals, if that would be of interest. Are you there? Hello, are you there? Oh, dear. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Uh, yes, the signals remain constant for a given entity. So I think that would be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, for example, if we get a signal from Mother Mary, that will always be our, our signal for Mother Mary, and it will remain the same for the rest of our lives. So it's a good idea to identify 
if you want to contact Mother Mary, for example, I'm just giving one example, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, then you would get her signal and you'd be able to know, oh, yes, that's my Mother Mary signal. And so whenever you're in contact with her, you get that same signal. And similarly with any other divine being you're in contact, maybe Lord Krishna, and he'll give you a specific signal. Lord Buddha will give you a different signal. Kuan Yin will give you a different signal. So what's an example of a signal? Signals will come to you in one of six ways. Seeing, ah, hearing. And if you want to hear, oh, seeing, hearing, yeah. Seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, feeling, or getting an involuntary body movement. I see. There's six different ways that you can receive a signal from a divine being. So like you might, you might smell roses for Mother Mary or something like that. Okay. Exactly. Great. Well, um, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. Do stay with us. So, just before the break, we were talking about the signals that we receive from spirit that are pretty consistent for any particular uh, aspect of the divinity that you contact regularly. I suppose, uh, Susan, that continuous practice kind of greases the ways or strengthens the connection. Is that what you do during meditation? Yeah, the thing is, just like anything you want to learn in your life, playing the piano, learning how to sing, whatever it is that you want to learn and become proficient at, practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. So that's why if you want to develop your clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient abilities, if you want to listen to the divine voice, if you want to receive divine guidance and be able to be led by spirit in your everyday life, spirit with a capital S, then it's important for you to practice, 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 because you'll get better at it. It gets clearer and clearer the more that you use it, the more that you practice it. So, yes, the answer is yes. Do most people have one major way of receiving communication? You mentioned clairaudience or clairsentience. That, uh, and uh, I guess there are other things like automatic writing or body feeling. Uh, do, can people develop multiple, uh, means or do they tend to have one major route? Well, most people have one that's dominant. There are three basic ways that you can receive messages from the still small voice, from that divine intuition, you might call it. And that would be either clairvoyant, which means seeing visions in your inner eye or Clear audience, which means getting words. You're hearing the words that are coming into your thoughts or into your inner ear. And then the third way is clear sentience, where you're getting feelings, gut feelings about things. So everybody has one of these more developed than the others. So it's a good idea to develop the one that's easy for you to use, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that everybody thinks, oh, clairvoyance is the thing, you know. So many people think that if they don't see, that it's <laughs> that they're not really very good psychics, but that's not true at all. Uh, whatever way you receive, that's your way. That's what's good for you, and that's what it's a good idea to to develop for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can also develop the other ways, though. If you practice, 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 you can you can get proficient at any or all of them. So it's just a matter of of consistency and continuing to do it more and more. The more you do it, the better you get. Like anything. Now, you mentioned mentioned in your book multiple times that you have 
a downloadable meditation that will give you this transcendent experience. How did you develop mm-hmm. that? Is that is that part of the, the this technology that you developed? It is because in order to have what we call the breakthrough experience, the breakthrough experience means to be able to get one of these inner connections with a divine being to identify its name, its signal, to have the contact with that divine being, the sublime experience of that holy holy presence and to be able to receive a message clearly. So that's what the breakthrough experience is, and it's a breakthrough meditation which helps you to be able to get that experience. So I offer that as just as part of the book, uh, the book being Awaken Your Divine Intuition. That's the name of the book. And inside the book somewhere, I'm not going to tell you where it is because you won't get the link until you're ready to, <laughs> ready to get to the link. So when when you get to that page... It will tell you to go to a place online, and you'll be able to listen to that a meditation online if you wish, or you can download it by, well, it depends on what kind of computer mm-hmm. you have. You either right-click on the link or you... Whatever. Uh, yeah. So uh, you can do that. And then you'll be able to listen to this guided meditation, and it will help you. It's a guided meditation, which means you just have to listen Follow the instructions. It's really easy. So that helps you to have this experience. You may or may not have it on the first try, but if you continue to work with it, you'll have the experience. It's just part of the process. Now, one of the fundamental aspects of this is asking. This is what I found so interesting. Yes. Expand on that. yeah. Yeah, everything that I teach, everything that I do is based upon one major principle, and that is ask and it shall be given unto you. So it's a matter of asking and receiving, asking and receiving. So in every aspect, we're asking. We're asking, for example, we ask for the name, we ask for the signal, we ask for the message. We, we just keep asking and we keep receiving. So, you know, most people, when they meditate, they they get into a deep meditative state and then they're completely passive. They don't do anything. In this method, once you get into that deep meditative state, you do something that people don't normally do in deep meditation. And that is you ask. You ask uh, a question. You ask for guidance. You ask for healing. You ask for whatever it is that you want to experience. You ask for a specific spiritual experience. You ask for the name, you ask for the signal, you ask for the message. So it's a matter of asking, 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 and receiving. And it's all about using your intention and your power of prayer, actually, the power of speech, to ask for things. You distinguish between asking for guidance and fortune-telling. Yes, that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. Expand on that a bit. Okay, so fortune-telling starts with the words, will I, will he, will she, will this happen, when will this happen? You know, that's a fortune-telling question. When you ask a fortune-telling question, you're making several assumptions, one of which is that you have no power over your life. (laughs) When you ask a fortune-telling question, you're telling God, you're saying to God, hey, I don't have any power to make choices, so what's going to happen to me? 
That just doesn't make any sense because, in fact, we're creating our own destiny and our own reality moment by moment through every thought, every word, and every deed that we do. We're in charge of our own destiny. We're creating our own future. So when you ask fortune-telling questions, you're just telling the universe that you don't have any power, that something else is controlling you, fate, destiny, the stars, whatever it is you think is writing your destiny, but it doesn't seem to be you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking a fortune-telling question. A lot of people use the word, should I? Does that work? I don't recommend using the word should because uh, should would imply that there's, that there's some, that you don't have free will. <clears throat> so I prefer using, when I ask a question, I prefer using a phrase such as, is it highest wisdom? Or what is highest wisdom? Or please show me some, please tell me, please give me wisdom about a specific situation. Uh, what would be wise for me to do about the fact that my child is now taking drugs? What would be highest wisdom for me to do about the problem I'm having with my boss at work? What would be wise for me to do about this um, sticky situation I have with my spouse? We're having an argument about that. What's best for me to do about that? So what you're doing is you're asking for advice, basically. Asking for counsel. Mm -hmm. Asking for what's highest wisdom in any given situation. And that is extremely helpful, extremely practical. And what you're saying to the universe is, hey, I have power over this situation. What is my best choice to make? Mm -hmm. What would be good for me to do? Mm -hmm. Or give me, some, give me some guidance about it. Or you can say, why am I in this situation? Why did I get myself in this problem? And how can I get out of it, for example? That would be good to ask. So what you're asking is you're asking for wisdom. Sounds good. Now, how do you know the source of the information? Let's get back to the safe spirituality practices. Uh, yeah, where can you go wrong? Yeah, okay. Where can you go wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can go wrong when you just trust that it's, when you don't use the 10 tests, when you just think that anything you're getting is real. And then the other problem is you're, if you open yourself up indiscriminately to listening to inner voices without using any tests, without using safeguards, without having the correct um, signal and divine name and knowing who or what you're getting your message from and using all the other tests that there are, uh, when you don't do that, you're asking for trouble. And people get possessed, by the way, by doing that. It's, it's really not, it's, it's more than, when I say it's not safe spirituality, I'm actually understating the situation. You can get yourself in a heap of trouble. Uh, you can get yourself into mental illness by not using the kind of tests that I suggest in the in this book, Waking Your Divine Intuition, because of the fact that you're, you're being indis, undiscerning, indiscriminate. And that can allow for an entity or even a demonic kind of being, something that's quite evil, you know, I hate to use that word, but something that's just not for your highest benefit, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. could take over and really influence you deeply. It's not like they're going to take over your soul and your soul is going to go somewhere else. It's not like that. Your soul is still there with you. 
But if you have an attachment from the entity from the astral world, your life is hell. I know it because I've had that experience myself. <laughs> it's not fun. So how do you get rid of it? By using some of the healing prayers that are, I suggest, for example, the astral entity healing prayer, which is a really simple prayer, and also by preventative measures, such as using the self-authority affirmation, which I can teach right now. If you'd like people to learn the self-authority affirmation, I can give that to you right now. Well, we've only got a few seconds before the break, so why don't we save that for after the break? But, Sounds good. But um, the... How do you keep from getting depressed by all the the dangers out there? Well, I don't get depressed by dangers because I keep my consciousness on a spiritual plane. Mm -hmm. And if I ever run into uh, something that's not in the spiritual plane, then I use specific healing prayers to get me back into that spiritual consciousness or I use meditation or mm-hmm. call upon divine beings. There's many things you could do to get yourself back into center, back into your, Great. Into your higher self. Okay, well, we'll we'll cover those in the last segment. Uh, stay with us, and we'll be back with Dr. Susan Shumsky. Uh, her website is drsusan.org. And we've been having a fascinating conversation about awakening your divine intuition. So just to recap, the first step is to ask... The second step is to make sure that you are in contact with a true aspect of the divine by practicing safe spirituality. And Dr. Shumsky has all kinds of ways to test the integrity of the messages that you're getting in her book. Um, then if you get into trouble, there are ways to clear out the, uh, the static, so to speak, from the system. So, Susan, you were going to give us a an affirmation or, or a practice that our listeners can use. Susan? Yes, I was muted. This is a very simple uh, affirmation. It's called the self-authority affirmation. And this can help you. In fact, if you use this on a daily basis, this can really change your life. Remember I told you a story in the beginning about an affirmation that that guy dictated to me? Uh And then I used it and how powerful it was and how it really changed my life. So this is that same affirmation. It really, really works. And it helps you to stay centered and balanced and to be more in touch with your higher self. And to not be influenced that much uh, from the all the vicissitudes and all the energies around you. So it's called self-authority affirmation, and you can, um, you can uh, do this anytime you feel the need to have more self-empowerment, to feel more centered. It's a good idea to do this before you leave your house. It's a good in the morning, you know. It's a good idea to do this between clients if you have that kind of you're seeing the public, it's a good idea to use this before you go into meditation, before you go to sleep. It's really great, and it's extremely powerful. Whenever you say any kind of affirmation, it's a good idea to say it as though your higher self is saying it through you. In other words, just pretend that your higher self is saying the affirmation rather than your ego self. And that's not really rocket science. Just kind of pretend that it's your higher self saying it. Mm -hmm. So 
This is the affirmation that I recommend. It goes like this. I am in control. I am one with God. I am the only authority in my life. I am divinely protected by the light of my being. I close off my aura and body of light to the lower astral levels of mind, and I open to the spiritual world. Thank you, God, and so it is. Sounds pretty powerful. It is powerful. It really works, and it helps you to remain balanced and in integrity and in touch with your higher self. So there are two themes going here. One is a to ask, and then you frame what you're asking for through through your intentions. So getting clear is a big part of a successful outcome. Do you have any suggestions for how to get clear about your highest, the, the best way to ask or what to ask for? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of people, use what they call the law of attraction, which means they make a list of things they want to manifest and then they use their power of intention to do that. But I think they're missing a very, very vital and important step in that process. And that is to first find out what your what's highest wisdom for you to ask for in the first place, is to have conversations with your higher self, is to communicate with the divine within you and find out you know, what path you're supposed to be taking, what's best for you in any given situation, and even find out out a little more about your what your purpose is, why you're here, what your true path is, by asking spirit to show you. And when you ask first for guidance, then when you use your power of intention and use the law of attraction, then you're going to be manifesting something that you really want in the end, <laughs> rather than, you know, why did I ask for that? Why did I want that big mortgage and that big, you know, car that I can't even afford? You know, I mean, do I, did I really make a wise choice in getting that thing? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that there's, that anybody who's listening has made that kind of mistake, but it is possible for someone to make that kind of mistake if they don't really, if they're not really in touch with their true desires. It's a good idea to find out what your true desires are, that's all. Well, I don't think there are any absolute saints listening, so (laughs) we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, getting in touch with the real desires that will feed your soul rather than just your ego. That's right. Getting in touch with your higher self rather than your ego desires. That's a very good idea. Yeah. Uh, you've had in your your uh, lifetime of practice many astonishing um, results among your students and, and lecturers. Can you give us uh, one or two examples? One interesting one is that there was a woman who was walking her dog one time, and she put the leash on her uh, wrist rather than on the handlebar of the of the bicycle, which was a mistake. And the dog went one way and the bike went the other way and she fell off and she obviously was in pretty bad, horrible pain. And so she went to the doctor and the doctor told her, oh, uh, first of all, your, sep- your shoulder is separated. So she thought in her mind, she said, cancel, cancel. And then he said, you're going to have to have an operation. And she said in her mind, cancel, cancel. And he said, and you're never going to recover from this. It'll be 
bad like this for the rest of your life. Cancel, cancel, she thought. She really, you know, she was very adamant about canceling all of these things that the doctor was telling her. So she went home. She taped her arm to her uh, body and went to bed. And continued. she continued to pray and to visualize that her arm was perfect and that it was... Uh, that there was no separation, that it was, she just visualized her perfection. She visualized her skeleton and everything in a perfected state, perfectly healthy. Went to bed. Three days later, she went to see the, the other doctor, the surgeon that was supposed to do surgery on her. And um, he took x-rays and he said, there's a mistake. These are not, this is not the same person. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for these to be, x-rays from the same person because now it's healed and so she just you know flung her (laughs) supposedly separated shoulder into the air and said thank you god (laughs) and the doctor said this is a miracle and she said yeah this is a miracle this particular kind of miracle has been discussed on this show uh by many different people in many different ways Mm -hmm. this seems to be uh part of our birthright that we can claim if we simply have the confidence uh, that we can do it. it exactly. It's, and, and, you know, ask for it, as you said in, mm-hmm. your, in your opening. Yeah, ask and it shall be given unto you. It's, it's a matter of asking. And, you know, often children have great results because they don't know they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> They haven't been conditioned to believe that they can't do things. So they think, oh, well, I can do this. Why not? (laughs) So uh, give us another example. Well, okay, how I got my book published by Simon & Schuster was pretty interesting. And that was, this was my first book. And I was listening to Spirit in every step of the way of not only writing it, but getting it published. Uh, the book pretty much wrote itself. This was the book called Divine Revelation. And once I finished writing it, I, I got a message from Spirit. I asked, you know, how do I get it published? And Spirit said, well, go to the library and find yourself a literary agent. This was before the Internet, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so I went to the library, and I looked through the list of agents, and I saw one, Jeff Herman, and I thought, well, Spirit said, this is the one. And, I thought, well, this makes no sense. He agents business books for Wall Street. What does this have to do with my book? And uh, But I, you know, I listened to Spirit, and I had enough faith to send my proposal to him, but I didn't have quite enough faith to only send it to him. So I sent it to 30 agents. But, you know, amazingly, he was the first one to respond. He responded within two days after receiving my proposal. So, you know, he started to sell the book to various publishers. He tried to sell the book, and he got some rejections. So all of a sudden, I got this letter in the mail. We used to use mail and stamps and stuff like that. So I got a letter in the mail, and it said, we're very sorry, but we've had a staff shortage in our agency, and we can no longer represent you. And I thought, well, gee, this makes no sense. Spirit said he's my agent, and gee, you know. So I was really disappointed. But I went into meditation because when you don't know what to do, that's what you do. You go into meditation and you ask. So I asked. And Spirit said, no, Jeff Herman is still your agent. Don't try to sign with another agent and don't try to sell the book yourself. So, uh, you know, I sent a letter back to Jeff Herman and I said, 
my intuition tells me you'd be the best agent to represent me. I'm sending this letter to the business book agent, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine what happened after I did that. Well, nothing happened. That's what happened. And I'm sitting around, you know, with my blind faith and my book is not getting published. So all of a sudden I get this um, letter from the Jeff Herman agency. It says, we're very happy that you have so much faith in us, but we still can't represent you. So I went back into meditation a second time, and strangely, I got the same message again. Well, no, Jeff Herman is still your agent. <laughs> Don't try to sign with another. And agent. to make a long story short, he eventually said yes. And he did. The rest and is it was history. published by Simon and Schuster, which is completely <laughs> possible, and has been in continuous publication for the last nineteen years. Well cool. done. Dr. Susan Shumsky, author of Awaken Your Divine Intuition. Her website is drsusan.org. Thank you very much for being with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Miriam. And do tune in next week. Until then, many blessings. I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Goodbye. <laughs>